Section 4 of Captain Billy's Whiz-Bang, Volume 3, Number 28, December 1921. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Daryl Nobles. Captain Billy's Whiz-Bang, Volume 3, Number 28, December 1921, by W. H. Fawcett. Drippings from the Faucet, Part 3. Just one more drop or so before turning off the tap. It happened to be my good luck to be invited by Bill Elting, better known in the theatrical world as Julian, to attend a stag party in honor of the Los Angeles and Vernon baseball teams at the Mayor Brewery in Los Angeles. Doc Stone was master of ceremonies, and he treated us lonely 200 homeless and wifeless old stags in a royal manner. From a purely personal standpoint, there was but one action that marred the entire evening. After being entertained to a realistic view of the Grand Canyon and a wonderful dance performed by Slim Summerfield and Bobby Dunn of the Fox Studio, the Right Honorable Toastmaster called on Captain Billy Whizbang to recite. Imagine a rube farmer trying to spread the fertilizer over the Rathskeller of an up-to-date Lowe's Angeles brewery. Impossible, I'll say. Here, I had been trying all evening to put on the dog with Frank Chance of Cub fame next to me. Julian Elting, world-renowned actor to my right, Dick Ferris, best-known privateer in the public eye in front of me, not to mention such luminaries as Bill Essick, Wade Khalifer, Larry McGraw, and Jack Milligan all around. Then there was Shine, Scott, doing the honors back of the near beer bar, and Shine is well known to every ball player on the Pacific Coast. Oh, by the way, I certainly cannot overlook the immortal Todd Sloan. Either I followed Todd or he followed me because it was my good fortune to drink Manhattans with him in the Sunset Inn at Tijuana and near beer near here. Now, readers, to tell the truth, is quite trying to write about this wonderful party while the writer has a perfectly good scotch highball on the desk beside him. Here goes another happy day. One must, as one says, review one's bunk to see where one's left off. Talk about southern hospitality. Well, give me the coast. Anyway, I never made the speech. How could I? After Elting had brought tears of joy to members of this famous gathering? Like the lowly backward shyster of pedigreed bull that I am, I failed to carry out the principle of my dear, old friend Volstek. This effort calls for one scotch he-ball. So I walked upon the brewery stage, and when I made my bow, I'll tell you one thing which every ball player and umpire of Southern California will verify. The stein of near beer was clutched fondly in my sturdy right hand. It was a rotten speech. In fact, no speech at all. My Los Angeles physician had prescribed that I take one tablespoon in milk every hour. The milkman and my watch both went haywire. But I had a good time, an elegant time, and awakened next day with fond remembrances of the morning after the night before. There are still a few rumbling in San Francisco 
regarding Arbuckle and his now famous party. The stories they tell are wonderful to listen to by way of teaching us farmers what strange means certain persons have devised to get a kick out of life. For instance, as my friend Barney Google would say, take this little rumor. Two of the numerous members of the party decided to entertain their guest. The party was dragging, as it were. The form of entertainment provided, so I am told, was the kind few of us number among our accomplishments. Somehow or other, we have never gotten over the old-fashioned idea that certain ceremonies listed in the regular catalog or otherwise are not for an audience. Rather, they are for occasions dedicated solely to the gods and ourselves. And then there was another, that when certain restrictive measures were indulged in, the Arbuckle Council had it whispered about that should things get too strong, the defense might allow the names of certain men and women socially prominent in San Francisco to be introduced as possible witnesses to testify as to the actual happenings. Needless to say, the well-known Mr. and Mrs. Consternation immediately centered upon the scene. And there was Captain L. Waddle, who commanded a battery in our late fracas. L. is the boy who made a hero out of Cliff Durant out here, really put over the son of the mastermind of the automotive world. W.C. Durant, L., who knows everybody and everything in California, might have made a fortune in writing a Hearst feature about the Durant divorce, but he's too busy selling the Perfecto two-speed axles for Ford, whatever they may be. It seems that for six years, young Cliff had been telling his wife what to do. When he returned from an important conference in New York with his dad, who was still president of the General Motors, she calmly announced, For six years I've been listening to you tell me what to do. Now, for six seconds, just listen to me tell you what to do. The inside of the bomb contained these sweet tidings. Just give me one half of what you own. Since Cliff was worth eight or ten million, you'll advise it was disastrous news from the front, inasmuch as she made it stick. And now, so the story goes, Cliff won't have to worry and fret about any mysterious-looking gentleman coming to stop at his hotel at Lebec when he blows in. End of Captain Billy's Whizbang, Volume 3, Number 28, December 1921, by W. H. Fawcett.